we're going to be again. And um, I had originally planned on preaching um, actually verses 15 nearly down to verse 23 and 24. And uh, couldn't get quite of a lock, if you want to know the truth, on getting past verse 14, of which we finished with last week, and the, uh, the importance, really and truly, of verse 15. Um, and we're going to see that here in just a moment, if you will. But I want to bring a thought to you today titled, The Mountain. The Mountain. We see that in verse 15. And we will eventually get to that this morning. Uh, we'll get to that topic of the mountain and why it is important. Uh, why we see Jesus Christ going into this mountain, the significance of it, uh, is really and truly um, uh, probably more than uh, the average individual would consider. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of avenues that you can look and, and understand what's going on from chapter uh, 6, verse 1, all the way down to verse 14. And uh, there, there's, there's simplistic reasons that you can address and say, well, this is why he went into the mountain. But there's something deeper that we need to understand that I think applies uh, not only to us today, uh, but definitely applies to the place where Jesus Christ and the disciples were uh, during this period of time in John chapter 6. So in verses 14 and 15, the Bible tells us this, and then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for the opportunity today. And I just pray and ask you, Lord, that your will would be done this morning. I ask you simply that if you will, dear God, make your thoughts, make the word of God itself clear unto our hearts and to our mind this morning. Allow it to tender and touch our days and touch our understandings, Lord, in ways that we can apply it into our life every single day, Lord, where we can appropriately apply the things that you have given us, Father. So, Lord, I do love you, and I thank you. I praise your wonderful name, and I publicly testify of the salvation that Jesus Christ is willing to give to any man, woman, or child who will freely come to him uh, by faith. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. So last week, guys, we closed with verse 14, uh, which is a direct public profession, if you will, to the world uh, by those who had seen this miracle that Jesus Christ was and is the promised Messiah. Now, I want to emphasize that word uh, there, that he is the promised Messiah. He is that prophet that was spoken of uh, by the prophets before. And we know that 750 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, we know that Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born. Now that us, if you ever circle that or earmark in your Bible or highlight, you can circle us. You can draw a line out into the margin of your Bible, and you can write the word Israel. Okay? That is not the human race. That is not the church. That is not the world. That is not the kingdom to come. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us Israel, that is strictly them, uh, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. There it is. They realize that this profession in verse 14 directly was speaking of 
the very prophet, the very one, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings who will rule and reign upon the throne of David in Isaiah chapter 96. They realized that, okay? They knew it. But the fact that that prophet was no surprise to the Jews, please understand that today. That is not a surprise to them. The Jews had longed for their Savior. They're delivered from the bondage of Rome. And before that, it was they're delivered from the Grecian dominance. And before that, it was, a, it was a, the deliverance from the Medes and the Persians. As you know, before that, from 606 B.C., it was the Babylonian Empire. All of these, all of these, these nations, all of these people occupied the land that was originally given unto Israel and controlled the people. As a matter of fact, the people of Israel were dispersed throughout all of the, the known world. The important part of that that we need to know throughout the known world that even today and and understanding what we have in our life, for over 600 years this land had been under a different occupation. The people dispersed throughout the world and and on the backside of feeding 5,000 souls, illustrating the second coming of Jesus Christ when the kingdom would be established and the king of kings would rule on the throne of David, it would be the answer to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, again, speaking of Israel, of thy brethren, speaking of Israel, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And that one that was speaking that was, was obviously Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible. And saying all that to say this, we see a magnificent occurrence that happened here today. And if you rush through John chapter 6 and you get into verse 14, you begin to notice and say, wait a second, they knew who he was. Wait a second, they knew he was going to be the king of kings. Wait a second, they knew he was going to be the prince of peace, the mighty counselor. They knew these things, and then later on, obviously, they crucified him. Peter preached from this passage. I mean, you'll see the link here in just a little bit, but Peter preached from this very same passage in the book of Acts. He preached it, we understand, uh, when we look inside the Word of God and inside what Peter preached. He preached it to the people of Israel, and the people were looking for the kingdom. They were looking for deliverance from their oppressors. The day of the hour, the fulfillment of Isaiah 9-6 and Isaiah 7-14, etc., was here. But there was more at stake when Jesus finished feeding the 5,000. There was more that was involved. And I want us to see that today, and I want you to see how and why... This mountain, if you will, which is so important, which it may not seem like it, to be honest with you right now, looking at it. And you say, well, he walked up into a mountain. He was there by himself. Yeah, you're right. There's a reason why he did. I want you to see here, as the fulfillment had happened of the prophecy, the very Messiah that Israel had looked for for all these years. Now, I want to stop. We've got plenty of time. Put yourself in their shoes. An occupied land. Not one person in here understands what, it's mean, what it means to be occupied. To be in the land that was given to you and someone come and took it from you. And they're just allowing you to live there. And they're allowing you to earn it. They're allowing you to work. They're allowing you to pay money into their regime. They're allowing you to exist, basically, in a land that is yours. Imagine with me for hundreds of years being raised up underneath that stigma. Raised up underneath that eye that you don't even own yourself. Your, your very existence is just allowed by who's in control, depending on what regime it was. Be it Rome, be it Greece, be it the Medes and Persians, be it Babylon, whatever it may be. All these years they looked for that deliverer. 
In my mind, I believe they went back and read the events of the book of Judges, how Israel had turned against God and they served Baal and served pagan gods. And then God put them under the oppression of the Midianites or the Hittites or all these other pagan nations, the Philistines. And then God raised up a deliverer in the midst of the, of the judges and he went and he delivered, be it Gideon or be it, uh, be it Barak or be it, uh, uh, be it Samson or whoever it may be. God always provided this deliverer, did he not? And then the times of the kings... Israel, same, judged, and a king would find the book of the law and the word of God. He'd find it in, in the temple that was ransacked, a temple that would, had groves and pagan groves in there and, and idols and all this and that. A, a little eight-year-old boy by the name of Josiah would, would find the key, kind of find the book of the law. He would read it, Shaphan would actually would find it and give it to the king, and then they would begin to clean the temple out. And God said, I'm going to bless you. This is what's going to happen to Israel, but it's not going to be in your lifetime, Josiah. They knew all these stories, guys. They knew the history of their own nation and country and people and the history of their God. And they knew that there was a prophet that would come out from the midst of them who would deliver them and set this kingdom up. Here's what they didn't know. They didn't know about that valley of the church. They didn't know that there was a period of time unaccounted for in the prophets. And because of that, my friend, Jesus Christ departed into a mountain. Look there with me in verse 15, just the very first two-thirds of the verse. It says, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed. Simple as that. The verse is very simple. Why did he leave? Because he perceived they make him a king. He was that prophet who would come into the world and would rule and reign with a rod of iron from the throne of David. Uh, he, would, he would rule in the kingdom, the, the original land grant given unto Israel. Uh, from all of their oppressors, he would deliver them from that. That's exactly what it was. Isaiah chapter uh, 60 and verse 3 says, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, watch this, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now, we like that verse. I like that verse. And, and in our mind, we may think, well, hey, that verse right there is applying to us today, but it's not. That is a kingdom reference. That's a kingdom verse. Because in the kingdom, the Gentiles shall come to the light of Jesus Christ. They won't become because we're saying it, because he's already ruling and reigning on the earth. Amen. They'll come to the brightness. Nations will come to the brightness of his rising. But again, I say this. The backside of this wonderful miracle, wonderful miracle, there's more at stake. I mean, honestly, you would think, and we've already talked about it, I realize it, but you got 5,000 men that were sat down. You're looking at another 5,000 with their wives, that's 10,000. I mean, you're looking at at least 20,000 with them having probably two, two children, if not more. All of them were fed. And then uh, the men took up 12 baskets full of the fragments of the barley loaves that they began with my soul what a miracle i mean the temptation here the temptation is to look and say man what a wonderful event if this many thousands of people can come to christ that day and experience that miracle what a turn of events but again i say to you there's more at stake there's more at play here Jesus Christ departed into the mountain for a reason. You say, well, what could that reason be? There, there's more than just prophecy here. There's more than just a promise, and there's more to the power that happens. Turn in your Bibles. Hold your place there in John. But turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts in chapter 3. We're going to go over to Acts chapter 3. 
I had mentioned just a moment ago that Peter had preached um, about this event, about what was more at stake. We realize Acts chapter 2 is a, is, um, um, a Pentecost and the falling of the Holy Spirit of God. And then we know in chapter 3 that Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. And, and we understand all that, but we're going to fast forward all the way down to verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, this is his words. He says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive unto the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses, he said, for Moses, uh, at verse 22, truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you and your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that followed after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days, ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God had made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed, watch this, shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, have, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away everyone of you from, your, or from his iniquities. You see, my friend, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, we're looking at this from the backside. We know the rest of the story. The Lord wasn't finished. A tremendous miracle here. Tremendous raising of the dead prior to this. Tremendous diseases being healed. Tremendous sermons being preached. But the Lord was not finished in the work that he had to do. The covenant with Israel still stands, but the promise to mankind to send a Savior in the world, that light still remained to be true. A Savior who the Bible says, a, a light to lighten uh, the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Beloved, the Lord departed in a mountain because his work was not finished. Remember the original covenant, Genesis chapter 12, you can read it from the screen. It says, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's the original covenant. That's the original covenant that was given later on to Israel. We want to make sure that our nomenclature is, is, is correct here this morning. Why is that? Because in Genesis chapter 12, that covenant, that promise, that, that very first promise was given to Abram, right? Which is a Gentile name. You understand? He later receives a Hebrew name, not a Jewish name, a Hebrew name. And the word Hebrew comes from his great-great-great-granddaddy, Eber. That's where the word Hebrew comes from. So Abram, Abraham, in him, all families of this earth would be blessed. Why? Because, guys, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, uh, came through the Hebrew race, through Israel later on, but he was supposed to be the light unto the entire world, unto the Gentile. Acts 13, 47 says, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. My goodness, man, Jesus Christ just performed a tremendous miracle. He had a massive following at this point in time. The, mankind, if it was just a human being, 
If he understood that he was going to be set up as a king, he would take that and run with it. He would take the 20 plus thousand people and say, this is my followers. But Jesus Christ said, there's work to be done, not with 20,000, not with 1 million, but billions upon billions upon billions upon billions for 2,000 years need to be saved. So my work is not finished. Therefore, he departed into a mountain, which is the last thing any of us would ever done. The very last thing. We would have sat back and allowed our ego to be stroked, our head to get big. Look at what I did. Man, what a great thing. I 20-some thousand people, oh, I'll take that. And the Lord says, nope, I'm out of here. Not only am I out of here, and we'll get to it in closing, I'm out of here by myself. He departed. And this is why he departed. There was something else that needed to be finished. And that was his death. That was his death. We're going to look at Acts 26 here in just a sec, but you're probably sitting here going, Preacher, you know, we, uh, that miracle was pretty positive. That was nice. Oh, the fact that all this following, they want to make him king, that's all great and wonderful. Uh, death, that sure is a drab subject. Why do we got to go there? Because Jesus Christ wanted to go there. Jesus Christ wanted to go there. Acts 26 verse 23 says that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people, watch this, and to the Gentiles, all the earth, man. His death, beloved, sure, guys, he could have set the kingdom up right then and there. He could have ruled and reigned right then and there. But what, to what avail? To what avail? Most of us in our mind today, and I'm going to say this, unfortunately, the majority of the people in, who attend church today the majority of the souls who are in church right now, somewhere in this village and in this valley, still have the mindset that we're building a kingdom down here for Jesus Christ. We're just going to build this kingdom, and life's going to get better, and everything's going to be great. It's going to be ho-hos and, 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 and daisy cakes. It's going to be all great and wonderful, and Jesus is going to come back to rule and reign. It's just silly. How well has that worked out last 50 years? You think our world is better today than it was 50 years ago? Yeah, we got running water, electric, we got all that stuff. That's wonderful. You think our world's better today than it was 100 years ago? Do you think your neighbors are nicer today than they were 120 years ago? No, sir. These villages, guys, hey, listen, families looked out for families back then. Parents watched out for other children. You didn't have to worry about a child going up and knocking on a door and saying, hey, do you mind? Can I use the toilet? Can I get a drink of water? Can I get this? You didn't have to worry about some you know, pervert being on the other side to harm your child. Buddy, you better today, amen. I don't let my 19-year-old girl walk around the village by herself. And she's technically an adult. Are you kidding me? The world's not getting better. It's not meant to get better. Jesus Christ knew that, and he departed in a mountain because he knew his death had to occur. It was important. I want to take you to one of my favorite events in all Scripture. I want to take you to the breaking point, to the turning point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it wasn't the miracle of the 5,000. I want you to go to Matthew 16 with me this morning. Matthew chapter 16 with me. This little trip down into Caesarea Philippi. Matthew 16. When you get there, wink, and I'll get started. I can hear you wink when you do. Matthew 16, and, and we're going to look, um, eh, we'll skip up a little bit here. And 
Now let's start in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do, who do men, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. That's a, that's a pretty good compliment for John the Baptist. Now, Jesus Christ said, of, of, there's none greater born of woman than John the Baptist, right? He goes on to say here, he says, um, after that, because some say Elias. Well, you know, hey, that's a great uh, shout out. Others, Jeremiah. That's a wonderful shout out. Or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Ye is plural, by the way. Verse 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, there's a comma there, he's relating to himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. One of my favorite events in the life of Jesus Christ occurs right there in Matthew 16. The account's not found in the book of John, but I want to say this, the example sure is. The example, as a matter of fact, is found in our text. Jesus comes right off the heels of Peter's confession that he was the, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. And then he goes directly into speaking about his suffering and his death in Jerusalem. Turns just like that. Look in verse 21. And from that time forth began Jesus showing his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. And then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Now this is the guy that just confessed him to be the Messiah, Son of the living God. He said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. That's pretty harsh blow now, isn't it? Now, the example I said from John that we're in today, John 6, is seen in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, this occurrence is seen in the other two Gospels, not seen in John's Gospel. But here's what happens. Jesus just proclaimed that he would build his church upon himself. He is the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 3.11, Ephesians 2.20, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, you know, Peter's not the first pope. He's never been to Rome. Uh, Peter's not the foundation. He's not the rock. It's a, it's a terrible thing when Scripture messes up with your traditional uh, doctrine and your dogma in your organizations, isn't it? Amen? And it all sounds real good when you have all your councils and Council of Trans, Council of Nicaea, and all your little men uh, get together and they agree on something, but then Scripture comes in and messes all that up. Amen? Kind of like baptism and things like that. But anyway, we'll leave that there. Now, there are great similarities in Jesus Christ departing into the mountain in John chapter 6 when you compare them to the events of Matthew 16. But it's a little more harsh, I'd say. I mean, Jesus rebukes Peter, um, understanding that it's satanic involvement that it would try to uh, that would attempt to hinder the cross of Christ. He knew that he's not necessarily calling Peter Satan, but he's revealing the influence behind it. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Now, Satan may have been the influence, but. When Jesus Christ said, for thou savest not the things be of God, but the things of man, Jesus is speaking to Peter then. 
This is when we feel this. This is when we realize and we find out the reason Jesus departed into the mountain in John 6. It was to ensure his death would occur. Now pick up with me in verse 24 of Matthew 16 and watch what happens. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever, shall, uh, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in uh, in the glory of his Father with the angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now, verse 27, if you're taking notes, mark this in your Bible. That is a direct reference to the second advent. That's the time when Jesus will come, and that's when he'll be crowned king of kings, okay? King of glory, king of everything. All the uh, kingdoms of the world become his at that time. We see that in Revelation 19 and other places. That's when that happens, and then he judges and, and so on and so on. But verse 26 is our key this morning. What if they would have made him king in John chapter 6? What if Peter, who was savers of the things of man, who enjoyed the fact that this is the Messiah, this is the guy that's going to be crowned, this is the one that's going to deliver us from Rome, this is the one that the kingdom is going to be set up, what if he would have been made king that day? What if they'd have made him king in John 6? What if it would have happened? What if the kingdom would have come in, guys? Well, what would happen? They would gain the whole world, okay? That's the Sermon on the Mount. I've taught you the guys this before. The Sermon on the Mount is the law for the millennium. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? The earth. That's not for us, guys. That's, that's not for us. We're not inheriting the earth. We're inheriting the new Jerusalem, amen. Our inheritance is over there. And our inheritance is based on our works on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That'll, that'll, that'll upset your apple cart. It will. The works you do in the body of Christ today is going to determine what reward you have over there and what inheritance you receive. Your salvation is locked in, can't lose it. But if you do nothing with the, with the gift that Jesus Christ has given you, if you witness not, if you do no good, good works, we're saved unto good works, by the way. It doesn't save you, we're saved to do them, amen? If you don't do them at all, you can equate yourself as being a, I don't know, football player, soccer player, rugby player, but having to stand on the sidelines, watch everybody else play. Let that sink into you for a little while today. Because I believe too many of us guys are sitting back in our eternal security going, you know what, at least I'm saved, at least I'm saved, at least I'm saved. When you get over there, it's going to be another story. You do no works over here, you get no rewards over there. You get no reigning over there. It's interesting here, verse 26. Because I hear so many people use that as a salvation verse in Matthew 16. It's not a salvation verse. Okay? Most of the people that I use hear this right here, it's usually shot at someone who's wealthy, who's successful in life. Well, if you gain the whole world, what shall it profit your soul? It's got nothing to do with it. What Jesus Christ is saying here very clearly to Peter, oh, okay, you're going to try to stop me from going to the cross? He's telling these people in John chapter 6, hang on a second, they're about to force me and make me king. And the minute he becomes king, the kingdom sets up. But there's one thing missing, the death of Jesus Christ. If you gain the whole world, guys, you're still going to die and go to hell if Jesus Christ didn't pay the ultimate price for sin. That's what he's saying. Don't use that verse for salvation. Don't use it. It's, it's, it's not for that. 
It's not directed for that. That verse is strictly saying, if the kingdom comes in right now, if you make me king today, if I do not die on the cross, if my death does not occur, you're going to die, and you're going to go to hell, even though you gain the whole millennial kingdom. Let's say what it is, the world. So what are we looking at today? Jesus departed into a mountain to ensure his death for mankind's deliverance. Israel wanted to be delivered from Rome right then and there. I can't blame them, guys. I cannot blame them. I don't look at Israel and say, well, shame on them. They should have had more faith. I don't blame them at all. How many of us would want to be uh, under the oppression of 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 a regime? We don't want that. But if there's no death on the cross, the payment would not have been made, which would result in us still being in our sins. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, verse 17 says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. That means empty and void. Ye are yet in your sins. Jesus Christ had to die in order to be raised again, yes? He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19, To wit, means to know, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Jesus Christ went into a mountain by himself, man. He had just performed one of the greatest miracles ever, ever, ever seen. The feeding of the 5,000. And I realize he fed the 4,000. I know he seen, we saw the dead in Christ rise and all these things. But this particular miracle, as we talked about week one, is recorded by every one of the, uh, the authors of the gospel. There's a reason because it pertains to the second coming. At any given point in time, if anyone says, hey, wait a second, why didn't he just take them? He departed to ensure his death for the deliverance of us all, for the deliverance of you and I. So before I close this morning, guys, I cannot help, I cannot help but mention the last part of verse 15 in John 6 this morning. Let's read the whole verse and focus on the last few words. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone number one we see that he departed again he was known for doing this number two we see that he goes into this mountain number three he goes into this mountain by himself sure we see measures our lord took uh has taken if you will in, in order for his testimony of who he is to be known we see that in john chapter six uh, but he did guys he went into this mountain by himself he took a time of solitude a time to come apart from the hustle A time to get away from them doing what they wanted to do because they savors that of mankind. A time of solitude to get alone and get away from everything. We've seen Jesus do it multiple times in his ministry. We see him encourage his disciples to do that. We even see Paul do it after preaching beyond midnight, preaching to daybreak. Acts 20, verse 13, it says, And we went before to ship and sailed to Essos. There intended to take in Paul, for so had he appointed minding himself to go afoot. Paul had preached that big old mountain, our big old, that big old meeting, that big old time. Eutychus fell out of the window, uh, fell down dead. He came back to life, and, and Paul got up there and said, I'm going to finish my last point. And he came again to preach it, preached for another couple of hours. And with all the events of that night, and the soul saved, and, and Eutychus and his testimony, and all the things that happened, Paul said, I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to walk down to the next port. You guys go and get in the ship, go ahead of me but I need some time alone. Guys, can I say this to you this morning? Never underestimate the times of quietness in your life. The days of rest away from schedules and activities 
And I, I, I got to be honest, it doesn't seem like there's very many days that are not like that. It doesn't seem like there's very many days where there isn't a schedule or a time to be somewhere or work to do. Or It doesn't seem like there's very many, or if any at times. But when there is, when those days and those times occur, better yet, when you make those days and times occur, don't look at them with a drab face. Don't look at them like you're doing nothing. Don't look at them like, man, Look at him in the way Jesus Christ did. He did it to ensure a greater work to be done. And when those times of quietness come into your life, you need to look at it in the same manner. Look at it in a way that there's a greater work to be done, that God has given you the opportunity in a moment to recuperate, to revive, then to get back in the fight. There was a mountain Jesus Christ went into, and I don't know what mount you may have in your life. I don't know what place of solitude you may have. Maybe it's a prayer closet. Maybe it's your bedroom. Maybe it's your car. I can, I can be perfectly honest with you. There's been many times where through the hustle and bustle and the, lousiness, the, the, the loudness and the busyness of the day that I've gotten in my car and I've just shut the door and I've just sat there and I've just enjoyed the quietness, enjoyed the stillness and soaked it up. And I've, I've, I've driven, I drive 30, 40 minutes to get back to the house or go to the next meeting. No radio on, no sermon on, no nothing on, just, just, just quietness in the car. Just spending time with my God. Why am I doing that? To ensure better work gets done. Jesus Christ had a mountain. We may have a closet. We may have a car. We may have just a room. But there are times that we just need to get away and depart. Not from church. Not from your prayer time, not from your Bible time, but just depart so that a greater work can be done down the road. Just like Jesus departed to ensure his death for our deliverance. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for all you've done and who and what you are. We thank you for the message and the thought today. I pray, dear Lord, that it was simple. I pray that it is able to be understood easily. But more importantly, I pray that it would be applied easily in each and every one of our lives. That we would see the, the importance of Jesus Christ ensuring his death on the cross that sin may be paid for, giving him the opportunity to eliminate the sting of death in his resurrection. So, Father, I love you and I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for the glorious, wonderful word that you've given us in this Bible. And I ask of you today to go with us, Father. Every step of the way, bless the rest of this day, dear God. Bless us tonight as we meet together in Cardiff. Bless us now as we have fellowship one with another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope and pray that God was good to you this morning in the preaching and teaching of his word. I do ask you to please continue to keep the services in prayer, but keep soaking it up. Soak up what God has given you today. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some 
tragedy. This is the last moment you had on this earth. When you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6, 23 clearly tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.